1: day that is set aside for kind of patriotic remembrance. As we've said before, the truth of the matter is that patriotism, as most people think of patriotism, is not a virtue that's taught in the scripture. And when I say that, I mean patriotism in the sense of being a flag waver and my country right or wrong and Uh, I don't care what my country does. It's great and wonderful and, you know, standing or kneeling or sitting or whatever at the right times when the music plays. That's not what the Bible describes as a true kind of patriotism. Instead, what I want us to see today as we look at a little story in Jeremiah 38 here, we're going to run into a man who was what I would call a true patriot in the land of Israel. And he wasn't a native... Uh, He wasn't a native Jew, not a native Israelite. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. Jeremiah 38, verse 7. As always, please give careful attention as the word of God is read among us. But Ebed-Melech, a Cushite court official employed in the king's palace, heard Jeremiah had been put into the cistern. While the king was sitting at the Benjamin Gate, Ebed-Melech went from the king's palace and spoke to the king, My lord king, these men have been evil in all they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. They have dropped him into the cistern where he will die from hunger because there is no more bread in the city. So the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Cushite, Take from here 30 men under your authority and pull Jeremiah the prophet up from the cistern before he dies. So ebed took the men under his authority and went to the king's palace to a place below the storehouse. From there he took old rags and worn out clothes and lowered them by ropes to Jeremiah in the cistern. ebed the Cushite cried out to Jeremiah, place these old rags and clothes between your armpits and the ropes. Jeremiah did so and they pulled him up with the ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. But he continued to stay in the guards courtyard at Emmanuel Baptist Church we believe that when you have heard the word of God you have heard the voice of God it's the same as if He were to crack open the sky and speak to you so this is the word of God for us today I want us to focus on this guy Ebed Melech that's a hard name to get stuck with I believe it's a name that he chose for himself he's a Cushite And that means in our language, he's an Ethiopian, which means we're talking about a black guy in the court of the Jews in Israel. How did he get there? He was almost certainly traded as a slave from some other pagan court. So the king of Judah buys Ebed-Melech or trades for him. That, That wasn't his given name. He had some Ethiopian name and he brought him in. It says Ebed-Melech was a court official in the translation I just read here, but some of your Bibles will say he was a eunuch. What's that mean? Let's just say he was castrated. So somebody, when they made him a slave, they castrated him so that they wouldn't have to worry about the women in in the king's court and whether or not he would impregnate them or anything like that. It was barbaric, but it's the way the pagan kings did things. The only other option is that Zedekiah the king of the Jews at the time Zedekiah may have castrated him as well which was not a Jewish practice in fact that was against the Jewish law you're not allowed to do that because in the Jewish way of thinking if you castrate a man you're cutting him off from the presence of God he wasn't allowed to go into the temple anymore okay but however it happened a great injustice had been done to this man of Ethiopia this black man Great injustice had been done. He was a victim, but you see what he does here. I'm convinced that what he does is display real courage and real faith, and we're going to work our way through that. Now, you remember last week what had happened to Jeremiah is he preached a message that the powerful elite in Judah did not want to hear, and they threw him into this empty cistern. You dig a cistern, why? Because you're hoping that groundwater will seep in. It will be filtered by the rock and clean water will come in. Well, this cistern has run mostly dry and now it's just kind of mud in the bottom. Sounds to me like it was fairly deep. So they get mad at Jeremiah. They think his message is not very patriotic and they put him into the muddy pit. I think that's what the King James calls it, the muddy pit where he's going to die. Now, Ebed-Melech hears about it. And notice the courage that he has. It says that the king was sitting in the gate of Benjamin. This was the place in the city where all the official business of the city was done. So the king would sit there and he would make his judgments. The officials of the court would come and whoever had business with the king would come and sit there while Business was being conducted. Now, if you remember, how come Zedekiah let them put Jeremiah in the pit? Because he was afraid of all the powerful men. He knew that his status as king kind of rested on keeping the powerful guys happy. That never happens. Right? The Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. Of course it happens. Happens all the time. And so he wanted to keep the powerful guys happy. They requested that Jeremiah be put into the pit, and he allowed them to do it. Now, here comes Ebed-Melech right up to the place where all these guys are crowded around. It's a public thing now. They're all doing public business. And what this has to mean is that Ebed-Melech went up to the king, by the way, that I think what happened is Ebed-Melech took upon himself a Hebrew name. Ebed-Melech is a combination of two words, slave and king. So he's calling himself. His proper name is slave of the king. He's serving. Okay, so Ebed-Melech goes up to the king in front of all the guys that the king was afraid of. And what's he say? These men are doing evil. They're steering you in the wrong direction, O king. He's not afraid of the guys Zedekiah was afraid of. What do you think that might be? We're going to see a little bit later because he trusted in God. He didn't trust in politics. He trusted in God. And it gave him courage to say what needed to be said. What we see here is a a doctrine. I'm going to give you a $5 word here. It's called interposition. Have you heard that before? Interposition. It means just what it sounds like. It means being willing to place yourself between someone and the danger that is coming after them. You're, able, you're willing to position yourself between. Any of you ever had to break up a fight? You've broken up a fight? What do you do? You kind of have to get between the guys. And Now, that works out to be kind of a dangerous position, Right? You're standing to be the one taking all the blows at that point. But Ebed-Melech does this thing, and it's a biblical thing. You see it throughout the scripture. He is willing, he is courageous enough to put himself between Jeremiah and the plots of evil men who had decided to do him wrong. Ebed-Melech comes and positions himself in between. Has anyone ever done that for you? Positioned himself in between you. And the threat that was coming at you. Huh? Christian people. Has anybody ever done that for you? And Jesus. Right? That's the whole gospel. That Jesus saw that because of your own sins and your debt before God, that all that was headed your way was destruction. And because he loved you, because God loved you, he sent his son to come and stand between you and the threat on your eternal soul. And standing in that position, what happened? He wound up taking the blows that rained at you. And now you're able to go free. What does Jesus now want you to do? Interpose. The way Ebed-Melech did. What did he do? He was just willing to go, even in the face of powerful people, and say, what you are doing is evil, and it must be stopped. You see that? Take some courage to Interpose. But as Christian people, you and I need to be looking out into the society who is it that's really being oppressed? And who is it that's doing the oppressing? And for too long, Christians in the United States have generally jumped to the side of the oppressors. And we can't be that. We have to be jumping to the side of the oppressed. Now, maybe they've done something that they deserve to go to jail or something like that, and we can talk about that. But while the oppression is happening and while they're being threatened, we have to side with the weaker ones. We have to side with the ones who are really being oppressed. For too long, Christians have loved power and were willing to jump to the wrong side. I don't know how many times, I'm not saying that every police officer you find is a villain. I'm not saying that. I have friends who are police. And I think their their desire is to do the right thing. But what happens on Facebook or social media, you'll see these videos and there's a new one or there's a new five every day of police officers just being horrifically evil to people. Beating them or, or shooting them or whatever for no cause. And what do you see? You count down five, four, three, two, one from the moment you post it, and here's a Christian on there defending whatever the evil action was. That makes me sick. That is not what the Bible says we should, we should be doing. Just because a man wears a badge and he has a government title doesn't mean he gets to act contrary to the law of God. And if we get the chance to stand between those villains and the people they are oppressing, then guess what? That is our job as people who are trying to be like Jesus. That's what he did for me. That's what I'm supposed to do for everybody else. And it takes some courage because that means opening myself up to maybe receive the blows that were meant for this other guy. We shouldn't expect our nation to progress if we don't progress as Christians. We can't point the finger at everybody outside and say, you got to be better when we are not doing what Jesus called us to do. They have a right at that point to say, don't point the finger at me. What are you doing for the oppressed? It's, It's a measure of how far we've fallen that when you find people standing up for people who are really being oppressed, they're almost never Christians in the United States. And these people who are really standing up for the oppressed, that should shame us. That ought to be us. Maybe not advocating the same solutions. You know, a lot of these people who don't know God are advocating Marxism or communism or some form of ism, when we should be advocating the grace of God and the and the and the peace of Jesus Christ, really implemented through the law of God, all right? So our solutions aren't going to be the same, but we should be standing up for victims. We should. Why aren't we? Well, it's a lot more comfortable to stand with the powerful people, all right? Uh, and I'm as I say that about Christians in general, I'm pointing back at myself too. I admit I've been guilty. I haven't always stood up when I should have stood up. And you know why? Because naturally I'm a coward. And I need the Holy Spirit living within me to move me in courage. One thing I think we see with this Ebed-Melech guy is his gift from God. For some reason, the slave owners that he had eventually moved him into a position of authority within the king's house. They saw something in Ebed-Melech that made them think, Here's the guy you want to put in charge of more stuff. What was that? I think it was what the New Testament calls a gift of administration. Right? That's not one of the gifts we like to talk about or, or pray for very much. I hope you have somebody in your life who is gifted with the gift of administration. I do. My wife of 34 years, she's gifted that way. You know what happens? You come to me with a problem and you say, uh, here's, the, here's the obstacle I'm facing in my life, Gordon. What should I do? And I can give you some concepts and I can, I can show you some wisdom from the word and try to move you in the right direction. But if you go to my wife with the very same problem, she's going to tap that with her little magic hammer and it's going to fall out into a battle plan where she will know exactly here's the steps you need to take to overcome this obstacle that has been placed in your life. I can't do that. She does it. And over the course of 34 years, I'm finally coming to the place where I realize when I've got an obstacle, maybe I should go to her. (laughs) I hope you've got somebody like that in your life who, who doesn't just see the right answer, But sees everything along the way that it's gonna take to get there. And she does. It's like a mutant superhero power. And I'm convinced Ebed Melik had that. He just knew. He just knew. He knows Jeremiah's in the pit. He knows, well, we gotta get ropes and we gotta get men in case these powerful men try to interrupt what's going on. We gotta get all this stuff. And what I've heard is they lowered him in with just ropes. Here's an elderly man by this time, and they lowered him a long way with just ropes. They may have hurt their guy. He may have injuries. And so what am I going to do? I know where there's some old, old clothes. I know where there's some rags because, because why? Because he's in charge of all this stuff. He's got it all cataloged in his brain. And so he goes and gets the ropes and, and the rags, and they lower it down. And he, what is this? He's putting himself in Jeremiah's place. He's showing real compassion. I hope you have somebody in your life who loves you enough to think about the details of what you really need. I was reading a story about, you've heard the name Jerry Sandusky, this uh, football coach who was arrested and sentenced for molesting children. The reason he was caught is because one of the young boys who was sent to that football camp came home and his mom noticed, in spite of everything he said, that everything was all right, his mom noticed that the kid came home with wet hair. And she asked, how come your hair's wet? Well, because we took a shower. You took a shower? Tell me more about this. Why did you take a shower? Well, because Jerry Sandusky took him into the shower and molested him in there. That's why he took a shower. And if that mom had not been paying attention to the details, then maybe Jerry Sandusky still doing the same stuff. I hope you have somebody in your life who loves you enough to notice the details and to think about what you need in all those areas of your life. Because that's biblical compassion. And what a comfort it is to know That God has said he's keeping track of every head of your hair. Every head of your hair. Every hair of your head. And that all the hairs of your head are numbered. Not one of them falls to the ground apart from his permission. You need somebody to care about the details of your life? Jesus cares about the details of your life. That should give you a lot of confidence. And we should become trained in loving and showing compassion so that we become like that. Well, pastor, I don't have the gift of mercy. Well, maybe you don't, but you're still supposed to be merciful. (laughs) Pastor, I don't have the spiritual gift of wisdom. That doesn't mean you're allowed to be foolish. You don't have the gift, then guess what? You need to work harder at attaining that. I believe in America what we need, in many areas, is for some government officials somewhere to have the courage to stand up and interpose. Listen the whole abortion fight and all that, we're not going to win that fight in the courts. The courts are completely stacked in favor of murdering babies. We're not going to win that, that way. We need a government official, we need an Ebed Melech to stand up and interpose and say, no more, this isn't happening in our state. They've already done it for marijuana. They've already done it for immigration. Why can't we do it when people's lives are actually on the line? Turn forward with me just a little bit to chapter 20, 39. We're going to see what happens to Ebed-Melech. This is after the fall of Jerusalem, or while the Babylonians are in process of crushing it, which is what we're going to look at next week, Lord willing. Jeremiah 39, starting in verse 15. Now the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah when he was confined in the guard's courtyard. It says, Go, tell Ebed-Melech the Cushite, This is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says, I'm about to fulfill my words for harm and not for good against this city. They will take place before your eyes on that day, but I will rescue you on that day. This is the Lord's declaration, and you will not be handed over to the men you fear. Indeed, I will certainly deliver you so that you do not fall by the sword, because you have trusted in me. You will keep your life like the spoils of war. This is the Lord's declaration. But God has decided you have trusted in me, and so I am going to reward you. And one of the things this should have taught the Jews, one of the things that it should teach us today is that being right with God is not a matter of who your daddy was or who your great-great-grandpappy was. It's not about bloodlines. It's not about nationality. It's about you in your heart before God being in covenant through grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not about bloodlines It's just about the blood of Jesus. So where do we get off? Where do we get off? Despising people that don't look like us. Despising people that are coming from a different place. Despising people who maybe haven't come from the same cultures that we've come from. Where do we get off demanding that I can't love you unless you look like me? This is not Christianity. This is once again failing to come to the side of the oppressed. We need to be those folks. let's let's just do it. How about that? Let's just do it. Prove that you trust in God by coming to the defense of the oppressed. Father, we thank you for our time together. We ask your blessing on it in Jesus mighty name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to setting the record straight join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group and don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.